Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to leg five of If I Knew Then What I Know Now. Sorry, leg four of If I Knew Then What I Know Now. Um, great to be here uh, after Catherine Granger to Claire Bolding to Krista Cullen. Uh, we've got another great guest lined up this week, so really looking forward to making the most of Kelly Brown, who is joining us. Uh, and uh, welcome Kelly to the show. He's going to be switching on uh, uh, any second now. We've got great stuff to look forward to. Kelly, good to see you. Everything looks Thank like that's working perfectly. Good to see you. Um, really looking forward to this afternoon's conversation and uh, thanks very much for taking the time to be here. Uh, been a really good week at Planet K2. Lots of stuff going on for us. Uh, some new programs launching um, that if you, uh, you're interested, get on the website and look at our sort of new programs that we're, you can all be uh, joining in, which is building on a lot of the principles that are coming out of these conversations, actually. So it's great to be having new new voices, new stories, new confirmation of a lot of the stuff that, that we know is at the heart of ongoing success. And uh, um, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing the continued conversations that uh, are going to come after Kelly as well. But Kelly, uh, you've had the handover from Krista Cullen. So from yes. uh, Kenya, Kenya to London, I guess you are via... You're there via Scotland, though, I guess, having been Scotland, yeah. Scotland captain. Yeah. Um, 64 caps. How many of those yeah. as captain? Uh, it was 14. So, actually, my first one as captain was also my uh, 50th cap. Right. So, okay. so it, was a bit of a, it was a bit of a special day. And there's actually a bit of a story around that. So, I was asked to be Scotland captain in the January of 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was going to be my 50th cap, as I said. And it was actually, it was the first game of the Six Nations was uh, Scotland against England. And so it was all set up to be an amazing day, an incredible day. And then three, hour, and then three days after I was asked to be Scotland captain, I was playing for Saracens over in Italy. Right. I went down in a tackle and I felt something in my leg. It wasn't that sore, but I just knew that something wasn't quite right. Um, and so I'm sitting there on the pitch thinking, right, this isn't looking great. I've got to be Scotland captain in two weeks. It's all set up. It's going to be my 50th cap, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, it transpired that I had a dislocated fibula. So I was, I was out for six months and all this sort of stuff. So I thought, I thought you know, have I missed, have I missed my opportunity? Um, is it ever going to come around again? But I was fortunate then in the autumn I came back and I was off to the captaincy again. So, yeah, it was great to get to do it. Yeah, yeah, so so great. So so lots of yeah, leadership stuff we can talk about as well as your rugby union playing career, I guess. Coaching now, so you're coaching as part of the Saracens Academy. Yeah. So you've got some great stuff to talk about. But you, So I guess you are... You are in London, around London, um, just outside London. How's lockdown been for you? You're you're a, you're an active guy. You're coaching. I know you're musical as well. So there's all of that stuff. But you know, how, yeah. how, how have you been sort of managing in lockdown? And what's a typical week like now for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. You know, one thing that has been great is just to spend the time with the family. You know, we're as a family, we're pretty busy. I'm out. I'm I'm well. In the normal uh, in the normal times, I'm out quite a lot, doing doing all of my coaching and then speaking, be it after dinner speaking or going into companies and speaking, mm-hmm. and so and so it's actually been great to get to spend all that time with the family. Um, 
one thing that has been a challenge is everyone at Saracens really has been uh, furloughed. And so the rugby coaching has taken a bit of a backward seat. Mm-hmm. But, but um, I've been able to sort of watch a lot of rugby and sort of plan and kind of and kind of explore ideas and things which I maybe wouldn't have got to do if I'd been if I'd been doing my normal job. Um, probably the hardest part of it has been has been the homeschooling, okay, yeah. been, which has been an interesting challenge. But we're just about uh, we're just about managing to get through that. Yeah, no, sounds great. And I think loads of people that, that we've been talking to, the, the balancing home life and work life and, and getting that has been, has been a real challenge. And, you know, but I, I think, I think um, you know, but maybe uh, some good learning coming out of it for everyone as well. And, 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 you know, your example there of kind of getting into doing a load of homework, I guess, as well, that you wouldn't yeah. normally get the time to do as well is, you know, to sort of uh, prioritising different things, which is, uh, I, I guess that's probably thrown up some useful perspective for you as well looking at looking at the game without the regular training and sort of match play that you'd be involved in absolutely and just to look at sort of how we do things is it the best way is there something we can change is there something we can tweak in that and so it has been it's been really useful to have that time because as a coach you're pretty flat out all of the time and it's game on game on game on game so to actually get a bit of an opportunity to sit back and to look at and to reflect, um, it's been it's been very very useful. Yeah, no, great, really good. And I, I'm I'm really interested in that whole kind of transition from player to coach, but keeping the, some of the principles that help you be a great player, moving to to being a great coach as well as you know maybe part of the conversation today. But this is you know all about reflection and thinking about if I knew then what I know now, and so, is that some of your learning and development story, I guess, through your career. So if, if we if we start to tune into that and we sort of you know pick up that theme of if I knew then what I know now what what stuff comes to mind for you as you know important learning or important reflections or important knowledge that you've gained through through your professional life um, you know over the last few years yeah there's a period for me there's a period of about sort of five or six months that really sort of sticks out in my mind so right. it was. Um, November 2009 mm-hmm. and up at that up until that point I had 30 Scotland caps so I was quite I was quite quite a seasoned internationalist but I, I didn't I didn't really feel as if I'd sort of uh, I didn't really feel established mm-hmm. at that point and then in the autumn tests I was um, I was in the I was in the wider squad but I wasn't in the match day squad and three of the four guys in the back row in the matchday squad were actually at the club that I played for as well. Mm-hmm. And so I had a bit of a crisis of confidence, really, as to, well, am I even going to play at my club? Or am I going to start at my club? All this sort of stuff. And so um, I was a bit down for a few weeks. And, uh, and I actually said to the coach then, I said, well, if that's your decision, okay, I accept it but I think you're wrong and I'm going to prove it to you. Mm -hmm. And then I was reading a book uh, by Michael Johnson um, and I had a quote in it and it really sort of stuck with me and it was question everything, but never yourself. Right. Yeah. And I just thought that was that just at that time for me really, 
really sort of hit home because it just showed that I needed to have complete faith and complete belief in my own abilities, which up until that point I maybe hadn't 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 actually had. And so I just read that, and for some reason it just struck a chord. I said, "Right, I'm going to show I'm going to show the coach, I'm going to show everyone that I deserve to be in this team." Mm-hmm. And that sort of and that sort of coupled into the Six Nations. I then I was fortunate in that. Um, as is often the way in sports, someone else got injured and I was given an opportunity to start the first game in the Six Nations against France. And in the build-up to that, I was asked if I would do an interview uh, for the TV. And so, of course, I agreed to do it. And, um, And at that point, I was... I don't know if people that are observing snow or whatever, but I've got a stammer, and it's something I've had. It's something I've had my whole life, and at that point, I was very much an out of control stammerer. But mm-hmm. most of the time, it was okay. But just when the pressure came on, it, it would it would catch up with me at times, like like interviews. If I was asked to do a TV interview, so so. I did the interview and it was absolutely shocking. It was it was appalling. When I stammer, I would blink. I would my face would twitch. I'd get stuck on words, and I was embarrassed by it. I was embarrassed by the interview, but I was embarrassed so much actually that I then I then an hour or two after the interview, I called the Scotland media manager and I asked and I asked if he could and I asked if he could please made sure that it was never shown. Mm-hmm. But it was a massive catalyst for me that because it actually really, really showed me and really reinforced to me that that I was in control of my future. And so it really, really encouraged me to take control and to control the factors that I could control. And then if I was going to overcome my speech, if I was going to become... The, the absolute best version of me that I could, I needed to do something about that. Yeah. yeah. So, and so I enrolled on this course called the Maguire program, which is, which is essentially, it's a course run, run by stammerers for stammerers. Mm-hmm. And, and I enrolled on that and it really, it's a four-day intensive course and it changed everything for me because it really showed me and really sort of hit home that that I could do whatever I wanted to do and whatever I wanted to achieve, but it was up to me to do it. Yeah, no, no, that's kind of really sort of powerful story of those choice points and then taking those choice points and stepping in and then finding something that kind of was a method for you i guess so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second i'm i'm really interested though that you know you said you were a pretty successful player up until that point anyway um but then you learned some other things and obviously the speech control became much better but and you moved on to other things and had a second half how good do you think you were prior to that as a player and do you think you learned stuff that would have allowed you to sort of make more of those first you know 30 caps yeah, absolutely. I think I definitely think I could have made more of those of those first uh, 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 
30 caps, absolutely. I think, I think I played and I played well. I don't think I probably fully backed myself right. in those games. And I don't think, and I maybe felt it was a little bit, maybe a little bit above my level, that if I'm being honest, I feel as Scots, we've sort of, we've sort of got a mindset that we sort of work hard Mm-hmm. And stay humble, so we never get above our station, and and you never, and you never start to think I'm all this and I'm all that. Yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes in professional sport, in top level sport, you need to have a bit of swagger. Yeah, and you need to believe that. And I think if you look at the Scotland side now, I think someone like Stuart Hogg mm-hmm. is the fullback and he's the captain, and he's one of the best players in the world. And I think alongside his skills and his physical, he's incredibly fast. I think he's got this real innate self-confidence and self-belief, which is almost a very un-Scottish trait. And I think it took me to that point to really get that belief in myself. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting you say that because I've certainly seen, I think, at the highest level, it's... You know the the ability to not lose confidence is probably equally important as having loads of it, and you want to get that balance, don't you? Where you've kind of you you know the confidence that you've earned the right to have, but it's also pretty pretty difficult to dent the confidence. And I think yeah. if you haven't got the swagger, the confidence can go sometimes, can't it? And you can and and it's it's a much more of a fine line, isn't it, between you at your best and then you quite not stepping up because the belief has gone a little bit. Absolutely, and it's the old thing. It's going out. It's going out there. I'm playing to win, yeah, as opposed to playing to not lose. Mm-hmm. And it's a subtle difference, but I think it's so important. It's so important. And at that point, I probably was a little bit playing to. I was playing to sort of not make a mistake, yeah, as opposed to going out there and really going for it. And but. In hindsight, now, so looking back, I'm really glad I had that five or six month period at the end of 2009 into 2010 because the lessons I learned from then have served me really, really well going forward and continues to. Yeah, no, great. And so, you know, obviously, the mind body connection for me as, a, as, a, as someone interested in psychology is always fascinating. When you talk about the Maguire program, and obviously, you've got something that's a very sort of physically evident sort of speech pattern to overcome. What, what, yeah. what, what kind of approaches were taken to help you get to the point where you become an affluent speaker and that, and that stammer is, you know, much more under control? Yeah, so the first thing is to say, um, I'm just going to jump on the word uh, uh, fluent there. So right. I don't want to be fluent. I want to be eloquent. Okay, cool. And so if you listen to most speakers and people that you would say are fluent there are lots of filler words mm-hmm. so lots of airs ums um i almost my my ultimate aim is to be as eloquent as i possibly can be so that's the aim so it gives me space to keep on growing and to keep on getting better because i know i can still improve a lot even though i've come a long way but the the thing around the program so to break it down it's basically, there is a basic cycle of speaking 
whereby they want to try and get all of the speaking coming from the costal diaphragm because it's much more powerful. It's the diaphragm opera singers use, so it's way more powerful. And so to really help us to project our voice and also to bring the speaking process down into the diaphragm and away from the face and the mouth and the throat where it can sometimes get a little bit stuck. But for me, the big thing on the course that I learned was it was the psychological side and it was a, it was assertive self-acceptance. Right. And so really accepting that, that I was a stammerer and then it's a part of me. And that was the big thing that, the, that we focused on in the course and not being frightened to show people that you're a stammerer or not being frightened to speak about it as I am now. So one of the things they do on the course, and it's a four day course mm -hmm. of about 16 hours a day. Right. Wow. So really, really intense days. And one of the things they do on the third day is you've got, you've got three hours to go out into the streets and to speak to a hundred strangers, which, is, <laughs> which as a, as a fluent speaker as you are, I wouldn't imagine it sounds like a lot of fun, but to a stammerer, it's pretty frightening. It's pretty frightening and you're thinking, oh, oh my goodness, what are people going to say? You know, what's the reaction going to be, et cetera, et cetera. But it's brilliant because you face your fear so much and you go and you just smash it and it really forces you to accept it. And also, also, one of the sayings they say on the course is if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And it's certainly challenged, and it certainly challenged me, it challenged everyone on the course, but to see the growth in a lot of the other people that I went on the course with was absolutely inspirational for me. I was, in a sense, maybe slightly fortunate because I do still have a fair bit of confidence. Mm -hmm. Whereas there were some people on the course had absolutely no confidence and to see them really grow and really blossom over the, over the period of the four days was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, and, and that, that assertive self-acceptance, such a brilliant phrase. And, and if we go back to that kind of the first 30 caps and thinking, right, did you have assertive self-acceptance as, a, as, a, as an international rugby player or were you someone who kind of, you know, thought you were okay, but, you know, hadn't really accepted you were that good. But then having that additional sense of self and confidence to be you, you know, that, that feels like for anyone who's already incredibly good at what they do, there's still an assertive self-acceptance that might be worth pursuing that could make a difference, even though you've already got a great track record. That feels like it was a kind of a really nice kind of veneer on top of what was already great, sort of, you know, a, a, a strong level of belief that you had. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It was such a it was such a big part and such a big time for me in my career. And then and then and then over the six months as well, I also agreed to sign for Saracen. So that was another it was another change. And then and then in the summer I moved to Saracens and I got married and then I started Saracen. So it was really all in. It was it was an incredibly an incredibly busy uh, and incredibly intense eight months, but it really changed. It changed everything for me. 
Yeah, I, I, I guess it that it sounds like you then started looking forward and and you know that you'd say taking control and actually putting things into your own destiny much more it feels like there's a kind of a a, a desire to move forward with some real purpose rather than taking the next cap one at a time i guess and it's kind of you know seeing if seeing how far it might go it feels like there's a real control shift in there absolutely and to see just to aim 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 even bigger maybe and say well you know why not why can i not do this why can i not do that so because as a kid as a kid, I always dreamed of I always dreamed of playing for Scotland. It was uh, ever since I was four or five, you know, little kids on the on the rugby pitch. Where I'm from in the borders is like a rugby mad area, and it was all I it was all I wanted to do. But as a kid, I was aware of my speech from sort of sort of age nine, ten, eleven, I think, and and I never even dreamed of being Scotland captain because I just thought. I've got a stammer, I can't do it. But then, as I said, over the, if you fast forward to the end of 2009 into 2010, it really changed everything for me. I said, okay, well, why not? I feel, I feel I've got the captaincy skills. I feel I know how to lead. But if I was a coach, I wouldn't choose me mm-hmm. because I can't speak at times. And so, uh, but then at the same time, it's up to me to do it. So I've got to do it and no one else is going to do it. And so that was a big, it was a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, really, really sort of significant shift of mindset, I guess, you know, and, and, and a powerful one that you're talking about there. And, and within the Maguire program as well, that kind of the assertive self-acceptance, that being really clear, that, that confronting, you know, um, hundred people in three hours certainly wouldn't be my cup of tea that definitely, you know, maybe an audience of the 300 at one go. And I'm talking about what I want to talk about. Happy to do that. Was there anything else kind of significant in terms of self-management or kind of yeah, managing sort of how you were thinking and feeling or the combination of the two that helped within the program as well? I think so another part of the program and just to sort of really manage alongside the assertive self-acceptance is it can be it can be a challenge it's it's very easy to say to someone you know you've got to be assertive mm-hmm. in yourself you know you got and so one thing they actually do on the Maguire program is they also is they kind of teach you how to use fake stammers right okay because what often happens, and I did this, so I came out of the course and my confidence was sky high. I was flying and I came out of the course and a lot of my friends are saying, oh, you don't have a stammer anymore. And I did have a stammer and I always will have a stammer, but I was quite happy. I was quite happy for them to say that because at that point I thought, yeah, they're right. I'm cured. I don't. I don't, so I wasn't, I wasn't fully accepting it. And so that's why on the course, they teach you how to do fake stammers. So you're showing people that you're not, not fluent, mm-hmm. but, uh, but inside I'm still in control of my stammer as opposed to my stammer being in control of me. And so that probably took me a few years to fully embrace and to fully understand and so um uh, and so as i said i came out to the course but that's something that 
that uh, that I continue to work hard on. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's a, that's a really powerful ownership of the stammer, isn't it? The paradoxical intention of I am going to deliberately do the thing that I'm trying to stop doing. And actually, so you know, I can stammer when I want rather than my entire life is spent trying to suppress this thing and hope it doesn't sort of, you know, show up at a high level at the wrong time. That, that, that's a really significant change of mindset, isn't it? And, and I guess speaks as well to that earlier bit you said about going out to play not to lose or to not make a mistake rather than embracing performance and seeing how well you could do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it, was, uh, and it was a massive shift. It was a massive shift for me. Uh, and it took a while to really get there. And that's also tied in with my with my ultimate aim, as I've said, is to be eloquent. Yeah. My aim is not just to be fluent, it's to be eloquent. I want to be better than than most most normal speakers. And it's something that I continue to work on. So just before Christmas I signed up for my um for my first ever radio commentary. Right, okay. Which which I'd never done because I was if I'm honest, I was probably a little bit frightened of it because it's a big, it's, it's a big old challenge. Yeah. And so I signed up and did that. And was it good? No, 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 it wasn't. Uh, but I would imagine most people listening probably thought it was okay. I don't think it was very good, but it's something I'm going to keep on working on. And it's something I will keep on doing because I want to see sort of how good I can become. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and so that, it feels like you've you've done a really great job of setting yourself unreasonable goals as you know as a function of what you went through perhaps you had early success but you know you found your way into it but actually setting some unreasonable objectives and challenges for yourself is another layer of that taking control and sort of you know just just pushing yourself in a way on your terms yeah absolutely i know i can uh, i can understand there aren't any limits to what I can achieve, you know. Um, and so, as I said, with the commentary, it's one of my goals is the is the one day I want someone to pay me to be a radio commentator. And it's not because of the money, it's got nothing to do with that. It's because it shows that I've obviously got to a level to merit that. And, uh, and I know I can do it. And along the way, there'll probably be a couple of, uh, a couple that don't go quite as well, but that's all. Uh, it's all part of it, and I'm just going to keep on challenging myself and keep on pushing myself to become the best I can be. And it's the same with the coaching. So I've got to stand up every single day and speak. Every single day, I've got to stand up and speak to groups. I've got to coach groups. It's such a communication, such a massive part of it. And I could have, and I could have finished playing and stepped away from it and found a job where I didn't really have to speak too much, which a lot of stammerers actually do. But I was like, no, I want to, I want to challenge this face on and it's, um, and it's not going to define me. And I'm going to set myself the challenge to be the best I can be and to push myself as far as I possibly can. Yeah. And the, the, I guess the other bit was interesting that you were talking about was kind of moving the voice down into the diaphragm and kind of, you know, using, using a different way of creating the voice. You know, certainly there's a lot of, I guess, 
for, for athletes uh, and, and all of us with mindfulness at the moment, there's a lot of emphasis on breath and breathing from the diaphragm. And I'm just wondering, did, did, did that help you connect with your body in a different way by, you know, moving the voice into a different place? And did that give you a different sense of physical control over stuff? I think it does, yes. You know, obviously, when you, anyone that does any mindfulness, you know, when you do breathe really deeply and you breathe into the costal diaphragm and all this sort of stuff, it, it does calm you. It does mm -hmm. calm you and it just, it just slows everything down and it relaxes you. But it's also because it's a really, really powerful muscle, the costal diaphragm. And so, so when you start to speak, you can be really assertive and you can really attack those words as opposed to a lot of stammerers who shy away from it and they, they, shy away and the body language is all about timid and all about holding back it really gives you the power to go for it and to be really eloquent and to really attack it and smash down and sort of smash down the first sound of that word yeah yeah and, and that there's a lot of this that really parallels so nicely with it you know it's it's one thing you know playing to try not to have fear of failure it's a yeah. totally different thing to try and play free yeah you know and, and you know you're talking about that you know speaking with freedom rather than you know suppressing the fear of of you know things not quite coming out quite right as well and yeah it's kind of it feels just a you know really interesting transition um to kind of go through that what after after you did the Maguire course and you were playing mm -hmm. and you, in the captaincy role as well was there anything you were noticing in terms of um, you know, how you felt in pressure moments, both on the pitch and sort of in delivering stuff to the other players. Was, was there any shift for you? Uh, just, you know, how you felt in those real testing moments of elite sport? I felt as long as I'd done my, my preparation, I was fine. Right. Which is, which is really the same as a player. I knew as long as I prepared well, as long as I'd done all of the work I could do. So from a rugby side, you've done all of your analysis and you've trained hard and, and you've practiced and you've seen all the pictures that you're going to see that week. As long as my preparation was good, I knew on a, on a Saturday, on the game day, all I, all I ultimately had to do was to go out there and just work unbelievably hard because I'd done all of the preparation. And it's really the same with my speech. So I often make, make phone calls. I've got a few coaches on the course now, even now, so 10 years later, and I'll phone them mm -hmm. and I'll do a warm-up. And I'll phone them and really speak, be really disciplined in the technique really slow it down, be really disciplined. So I know if I feel a block coming on, if I feel a stammer coming on, I know that I can control my speech. And so yeah. it's all about, all about preparation. Yeah. Yeah. Prepar and, and, you know, and, I, and I think those, those pressure moments and knowing that the, the, the groundwork has been done is really important because, you know, you go into the spotlight and, you know, and, and you've got to be prepared to be in the spotlight. And, I'm, I'm interested in that spotlight as well from a leadership role and a coaching yeah. role at Saracens. Obviously, Saracens has been in the spotlight as well. Yeah. Um, uh, having, you know, had great success, but then, uh, you know, quite a lot of um, 
uh, you know, issues around some of the stuff that's happened. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you feel going back into that kind of spotlight of scrutiny now? Yeah. You know, has stuff changed for you at Saracens given the last sort of year or so? Has, has you know, has that brought a different challenge to you? Or, you know, how, how does that all go together, being a leader there? Yeah, it's definitely it's a different challenge. Obviously, it's been a it's been a really really challenging year. I still don't know all of the ins and outs to it, but we've clearly made some some pretty some pretty big errors mm-hmm. in the running of the club. Um, do I think, as a lot of people are saying, that Saracens have bought all of our success? No, I don't. I think we've got our success because. We've got a really, really strong academy, mm-hmm. and because of the culture at the club, and I, in a funny way, in almost a slightly perverse way, I actually think it's quite exciting to have this challenge because we've almost got to start again, and we've almost got to say, right, we have had all of this success because of our culture and because of the players and the people in our environment, and so let's go and show everyone and show the world that that it's not changed. It's still because of the culture. It's still because of this. It's still because of that. And then a few things that I picked up really, really early on in my days at Saracens. So I remember I came down to meet the, it was a head coach, a guy called, called, called uh, Brendan Venter mm-hmm. and the chief exec. And I came down to see them. And there was a couple of things that they said to me that just really stuck with me. Uh, the first one is they said, why are we here? What's the point in Saracens? I was like, well, it's a rugby club, it's to win. They said, but why? Even if you win, the, even if you win after it, the cup and the trophy's got to go back. So what's the point? And I said, well, yeah, but you've got the memory of winning. And they said, exactly. And that's why we're here. It's not to win, it's to make some memories. Mm-hmm. And so, and so every day I'd go into training, and they never spoke about winning. They never spoke about winning. It's maybe changed now because of the success that we've had a little bit, but yeah, yeah. it was never spoken about. It was about right. Let's just focus on working hard and making some incredible memories. And we did that. And now at uh, Allianz Park, if you walk out onto the pitch, it's the last thing it says above the tunnel. It says, let's make some memories. And I just thought it, it just made it easy. It made it so easy. And the other thing that they said at that time was they said to me, they said a lot of rugby clubs, and this is true, a lot of rugby clubs have got this, a bit of a mindset, it will treat them mean and it will keep them keen. Mm-hmm. And at Saracens, it, it was completely different. As they said, okay, we will treat you unbelievably well. All we ask is that you work unbelievably hard in return. And again, they just made it so simple for me because I'm not frightened the grass. I was like, oh, oh, that's brilliant. So I just have to work hard. And then it was reinforced in my first day in the club. And we had a meeting and the, um, and the coach has said to us, they said, guys, they said, there's two types of errors. There's a skill error. And there's an effort error. If you make a skill error, so if it's a missed tackle, if it's a drop pass, if it's a bad kick, anything like that, 
that is on us as coaches. It's our fault because our job is to improve your skills. Mm-hmm. But if you make an effort error, so if, if it's a penalty in the breakdown because you've not worked on the floor to get away, or if it's a forward pass because you've been lazy working back into position so the pass has had to go forward, anything like that is entirely on you. Mm-hmm. So I just love that because I, I remember I went up to the coach afterwards. I said, so what you're telling me is as long as I work hard, I can't screw up. And they said, exactly. And I just thought that is brilliant. What a way to do it. And so, and so I just felt it, it gave me freedom just to go out there and play and just to go out there and not worry about anything, just go out there, work as hard as I can. As long as I've done the preparation, I knew that everything was going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that's so important around, you know, create, creating the parameters within which you can go and play free. Yeah. Because, you know, that's what it's done. It's allowed you to play without the fear of a mistake, that, you know, the, the unacceptable kind of mistake. And, you know, there's so much of that, I think, that people would assume, well, of course that's true, but actually stating it just allows that totally different mindset to, to come into play as well. So I think, I think it's fascinating, just beautifully simple, but you've earned the right to be there. So here's the two kinds of errors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. You see that there's, and you see the simple thing, I think as well, that's another, that's another thing which you, which we often speak about at Sari's or, or I often think about as a coach anyway, it's the kiss method. Mm-hmm. So you keep it simple, stupid. And, and again, I think a lot of times is we, we can we can overcomplicate so much stuff, and I think certainly with with our academy players, right? Let's just strip this down. What are the two or three things that these guys need to know and need to get right, and then everything else, everything else is going to take care of itself. Yeah, and and it and it feels like there's a real sense of collaboration there between everyone even though there's coaching staff and playing staff it's not a kind of them and us kind of thing it's a, it, that real sense of um accountability to 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 each other and, and as part of the whole that and that feels really important there as well i guess that must be interesting for you having moved into the sort of academy coaching role as well and sort of being the other part of that accountability yeah absolutely and that's the relationship isn't it and that's getting to know and getting to and getting to understand your fellow players. So when I was a player, you know, there was a few guys on the team that thought and acted in a way that at times I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand, and my perception wouldn't be, wouldn't be right or whatever. But then I understood it was up to me to actually get to know that person and to speak to that person and say, "Listen, when you do this, I don't like it because I think that it." that it shows me that you're not in control or you're this or you're that. And the player was then able to speak back and say, well, I am in control. It's just at that moment, I'm annoyed. I've got to let it out, but then I can park it and I can move on. And so then I got to understand that player a bit better. I was like, ah, right. Okay. So we get to know each other a bit better because that's the, it's the other thing. So it's sorry. So they were sort of known for getting sent off on these trips. So, We've had some amazing times over the years where they send us 
of the bond as a group um, all over the world, which is which is so important because the better you get to know and understand each other, the better when you're under pressure. That's when all the friendships and all of the understanding is so important. And an example of that really sort of bearing fruit was the my first year we got to the final of the premiership mm-hmm. um, and we're up by four points against Leicester and they had the ball for nine minutes um, of, of uh, extra time. And it was basically, if they score, they win. Yeah. And so we, I think we defended something like 40 odd phases or something like this. So everyone is absolutely dying absolutely exhausted but because we've built this real bond and this real connection in the team no one wanted to let each other down and so we fought and fought and fought and fought and then and then we ultimately managed to hold out yeah yeah it's very interesting you that that kind of respect for each other and sort of you know the 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 power of difference and and sort of understanding that john John amici the psychologist former nba basketball player john was sharing some stuff a few weeks ago around uh, you know the whole concept of treat others like you would want to be treated is completely wrong it's treat others like they want to be treated but you've got to have the conversation to find out you know what what what's going on for them what what's the way the the way in which you're going to work with them. And I guess that that's interesting for me, you know, if I knew then what I know now and you in a coaching role within an academy yeah. and bringing young players through, how, how do you manage that challenge where the young players have got to have the space to learn some stuff for themselves, but equally you've learned some important lessons that you yeah. want them to have as well. How, 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 how are you finding that? Yeah, so what we do at an academy level, so we get these guys in and it's very fluid so between the Saracens Academy and the county system so we've got three counties Hertfordshire, Essex and Kent mm-hmm. and so under under 59 under 16 so players sort of float between the counties and Saracens and they move um, like that and what we start then is we start to speak about the values right and the values that we have as Saracens. So alongside all of the all of the rugby stuff, we also start to speak about all those the values, um, honesty, humility, work rate, and discipline. Mm-hmm. And they're so important and they're the foundation of everything that we do. And so we really start to instill that early with our players and try and explain why it's so important try and explain what exactly is work rate. Because a lot of young people don't know, or they maybe, so they think, you know, work rate, it might be going out and going on a five mile run every day, and that's good for your rugby. Well, no, it's not. Mm. And so we try and educate them around them, but it's the values are the foundation of everything that we do. And so we start that off young and then alongside that as i said all of the rugby stuff but we also understand the importance of the team and so we really try and get our guys to buy in so we tend to have with our under 18s we'll have a we'll have a trip and so a squad trip and we try and every monday night when we train 
we try and have a meeting, a bit of a fun meeting to really get everyone to engage and everyone to buy in and everyone to really start to understand each other. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that values bit so important for then helping people kind of understand their own experiences through the values perspective and, and they can have their own experiences but you keep coming back to this is what we want to learn from that, that sounds sounds really sort of um uh, a great educational base for those players as well as as people rather than just players by the sound of it as well so you know that that, that feels like it's a really important part of it that yeah mind, mindful of time i'm very grateful for the, for the time that you've given kelly as as we're talking does does anything sort of really stick in your mind about stuff you know now that actually you really value and you know you may have it may have been more useful earlier in your career but what what's the key takeaways for you in terms of the stuff you really know now that is really powerful for you so one thing that we've kind of not really really touched on but a little bit um from a leadership side so I obviously now, uh, as a coach, I've got to lead. As a captain, I had to lead. I also, so going back, I used to, I used to be captain of my school team and that sort of stuff. And and leadership, something that I've really, really thought about, and and I think it's so important. And when I was doing my coaching level three, I came up with this, with this saying. It's a, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit of a gimmick thing, but I think it, it paints quite a nice quite a nice picture in the head and and it's to build the wave mm-hmm. and so that was the thing and so my thinking was right I'm going to build the wave so I'm the wave and the players are the surfers mm-hmm. and it's a wave of energy and it's taking care of the surfers it's building the trust it's also encouraging them to try things so all these sorts of things, I think it just paints a nice picture of what I believe leadership is. It's about caring for for each of the individuals. It's about getting to know each of the individuals, encouraging them to try things, and also really leading by example. And so trying to show them the way as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, I, I can I can see how you kind of built the wave for yourself in the second half of your career as well, and kind of you know had had much more of that kind of mindset around making that work for you. That, that's brilliant. You know, there's so much stuff I'm sure we could carry on talking about, but it's been great to have the chance to kind of hear your story. That kind of away from the performance environment, but the very personal stuff on the stammering and that, but, but also just you know how the overall philosophy that you've had has has led to you have a great career beginning of the great coaching career as well so it's been, it's been a privilege to to hear that so thank you for your openness around that um uh and so we get to the end of leg four which means that i have to ask you who you're handing over to so we get we, we're looking for leg five so we, we've had sort of you know Catherine, then claire then krista then yourself so who who, who gets the next leg on the way kelly so, uh, leg five is going to be a gentleman called uh casper berry who has had a really mixed and really interesting life. So he was actually an actor in uh, in uh, Biker Grove. Right, okay. Back in the day. Right. And then he went to America. He did a bit of TV writing. He had three years as a professional poker player. Um, he's been a TV presenter as well. And so he's got some really, really interesting stories. And he's had a really 
interesting journey. So I'll be passing it on to him. Ah, fantastic. That's uh, I, yeah, instantly starting to think about sort of, you know, acting, but then poker and calculated risk stuff and practice and preparation. So brilliant. Fantastic. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be superb as well as, you know, maybe, maybe some biker grove stories about Anton Deck. who knows? So <laughs> but I'll try, I'm sure he'd be very bored of those. So I'll, I'll stick, I'll stick away from those and start focus on the other stuff. That's uh, absolutely great. Look, thank you very much. That's a, that's a great baton handover. Brilliant leg that you run as well. So really appreciate that as well. And uh, all, all the best with the uh, ongoing homeschooling and uh, everything else that you're doing <laughs> during lockdown as well. And uh, yeah, really appreciate your time. And uh, we'll, we'll look forward to staying in touch as well. And uh, hope you get to see some of the other ones that follow as well. So uh, thank you very much from the audience from Singapore and the world over. Kelly, fantastic. Appreciate your time, sir. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great, Chris. Yeah, pleasure. Fantastic. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers.